everyone. My name is Chase Callahan. I'll be doing our scripture reading for today. We'll be out of Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 18. Starting in uh, verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. Praying at the same time for us as well, that God will open to us a door for the word, so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ, for which I have also been imprisoned that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. As to all my affairs, Tychicus, our beloved brother and faithful servant and fellow bondservant in the Lord, will bring you information. For I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of your number. They will inform you about the whole situation here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you his greetings, and also Barnabas' cousin, Mark, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And also Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only fellow workers for the kingdom of God, who are from the circumcision, and they have proved to be an encouragement to me. Epaphras, who is one of your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers, that you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. For I testify for him that he has a deep concern for you and for those who are in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, sends you his greetings, and also Damas, greeting the brethren who are in Laodicea and also Nympha. In the church that is in her house. When this letter is read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And you, for your part, read my letter that is coming from Laodicea. Say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my imprisonment. Grace be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to your word now, I pray that you would open our eyes to see how we are to relate, first and foremost, to you, but also to one another. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Relationships matter. We all know that's true. We all felt it this past week. Whether you gathered around a Thanksgiving table with loads of family or with none at all, you felt that relationships matter. You probably felt it more keenly if there was no family around the table this Thanksgiving. Absence tends to make the heart, what? Grow fonder. Absence makes our hearts long more intensely For the relationships that we're missing. If you didn't know that, you've probably never listened to the music from Les Mis and heard Marius sing empty chairs at empty tables. Because if you had, you'd know that this is true. That we feel relationships to matter most when the chairs around the table sit empty. We all know that relationships matter, whether our lives are full of them or bereft of them. 
whether we consider ourselves to be introverts or extroverts, we all recognize that we were built for relationships. We're all wired to be relational beings. Why is that, I wonder? The boring best guess of the naturalistic scientists today is simply this. Relationships exist because they help us survive. The evolutionary biologists will probably tell you that humans are hardwired for relationships because that aids our survival as a species. But, of course, most experts threw all that talk out the window in the last pandemic, didn't they? When relationships became a threat to our survival. You may still feel that every time you drop your kids off at daycare. (laughs) Not knowing what viruses they're going to pick up and bring home to pass on to all their other relations. Now you can believe that relationships are all about survival. You can believe this new and, let's be honest, fairly boring answer that relationships are all about our survival as a species. But there is an older, more exciting answer to the question. Why do relationships matter? Why are we wired to be relational beings? The older, deeper, more satisfying answer revolves around God. God himself, within himself, is a relational being. The one God who reveals himself to us in the pages of Scripture has revealed that he has eternally existed as three persons, three distinct centers of being and consciousness, an eternal relationship with each other, an eternal relationship of love and joy, free from any need or deficiency. Before God created anything whatsoever, he was a relational being, holding perfect, unbroken fellowship with himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In this case, relationships matter because relationships predate matter. Relationships matter because relationships predate matter itself. God is a relational being, and he created us in his image to be relational beings. We have the innate capacity to have relationships with one another and with God. We have this innate relational capacity because we've been created in the image of God, in the image of a relational God. I think we can all see that this is a better, more satisfying answer for relationships than any possible alternative could be. It's a better answer, and it's a more comprehensive answer. The Bible's answer for relationships encompasses the need to survive, yes, but also expands far beyond it. The Bible's answer expands to include and explain things like love and friendship, and happiness, and fellowship, all the other aspects of being relational that survival alone can explain. The Bible offers solid ground beneath our feet for many of the things we know experientially 
to be true. We intuitively know that relationships matter. And we intuitively know that there are multiple dimensions to relationships. Practically everyone recognizes the horizontal dimension to relationships. This dimension stretches out like the horizon to both sides of us. These are the relationships with people around us that we can reach out like this and touch. Those are our horizontal relationships. There's a horizontal dimension, but we also intuit there's something more. There is a vertical dimension to relationships. Prayer is a sign that you already believe in the existence of this vertical relationship. Prayer at 4th and 31 is the sign <laughs> that you believe in this already. All of us do. The reason we naturally call out and pray is because we already intuit this vertical relationship between us and God. We all know that the horizontal exists, but most all of mankind throughout history also intuits there is a vertical relationship. That's why people throughout the world, throughout history, pray. We intuit that there's a vertical relationship, that it exists, and that something has broken it. Something has severed it. We're going to see a lot of relationships today as we finish off the book of Colossians. Most of these relationships are horizontal, but the first and the most important relationship we'll see The one from which all else flows is the vertical relationship, our relationship with God. We're going to cover all of Colossians 4, beginning in verse 2, under four different headings this morning. And the first is this. Our vertical relationship requires devotion. Our vertical relationship requires devotion. You see that in verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer keeping alert in it with the attitude with an attitude of thanksgiving we all know that relationships require some level of cultivation relationships require time and effort and work to maintain to grow relationships require communication and a level of intentionality relational growth doesn't happen passively Our horizontal relationships require a certain amount of cultivation. So, we shouldn't be surprised to hear that our vertical relationship with God also requires something of us. It requires our devotion. Cultivating this relationship looks like being devoted to it. Devotion is, after all, a word we probably should have expected to characterize our vertical relationship with God. If any relationship deserves our devotion and our persistent efforts to put it first, it's our relationship with our creator, right? That's what we should expect. Now, you could say that the relationship with your spouse is another relationship that requires devotion. But there's a good reason you feel that way. The Bible says that the horizontal relationship of marriage was always intended by God to reflect the vertical one. You know that. Marriage is a picture 
of the relationship that God has always intended to have with his people. So if marriage requires your devotion, if it requires your devoted effort to cultivate that horizontal relationship, then you should expect the vertical relationship it was patterned after to require your devoted effort as well. If the shadow requires devotion, the substance requires it even more. This is probably a helpful gauge for those of us who are married. Are we bringing the same level of devotion into our vertical relationship with God that we bring into our horizontal relationship with our spouse? It's a good question. Are we pouring out our hearts to God to the extent that we do it to our spouse? Are we unburdening ourselves to God to the same extent we unburden ourselves to our wife or to our husband? It should be more. Because the horizontal is to be a shadowy reflection of the vertical. How are we doing, married folks? How does your vertical relationship with the Lord measure up to your horizontal relationship with your spouse? I say that to the married folks, but I'll say this to those who are not married. If you're not married, you may not have the same gauge available to you but you do have the same opportunity. Often, you have much more opportunity. Paul says that the one who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But the one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife, and his interests are divided. Another way to say it is that his devotion is divided. Or his devotion can often feel divided because the married man must intentionally cultivate his relationship with his wife. That relational investment is certainly right for the married man to make and is certainly pleasing to God. But the unmarried man or woman, Paul says, isn't divided in the same way, but is free to wholeheartedly focus their devotion on the Lord. This is one of the reasons why Christianity honors both married and singleness, marriage and singleness, in a way unlike anything else. Traditional religions tend to think of marriage, think much of marriage, and think less of singleness. Modern society (laughs) tends to exalt singleness and put down marriage. But Christians don't fall off the donkey on either side, do we? We honor both marriage, and singleness, because both are honoring to God. Whether we're married or unmarried, we can honor God by being devoted to our vertical relationship with him. And this devotion looks like something very clear and obvious. In verse 2, Paul calls us to be devoted to prayer. Prayer. Be devoted to prayer. Be devoted to the kind of communication that goes vertical. Can you imagine maintaining a horizontal relationship with a spouse that you never talked to, with whom you never bothered to communicate? Hopefully, you can't imagine that. 
You communicate with your spouse because you love your spouse. You want to share your life with your spouse. You want to be known intimately by your spouse. And it's the same with God. In prayer, we are pouring out our hearts to the one who loves us, who intimately knows us, whose very life has entered into us. Paul says that when we don't know how to pray as we ought, God's spirit in us prays according to the will of God with groanings too deep for words. Communication is to be flowing vertically, just as it is natural for it to flow horizontal. Perhaps more naturally is it to flow vertically than horizontally, because you may find it difficult to express your heart to others. Maybe that's you. You may find it difficult to express what's in your heart to your neighbor, to your friend, to your spouse, but you need not feel that way to God. He already knows what's in your heart. There's no hiding from him. There's no putting a better face on things in prayer. God already knows the reality. Why wouldn't you just pour out unvarnished what's in your heart before God? Married folks, you can see that an intuitive spouse knows when you're holding back, can't you? Your spouse knows when you're not saying what you're really thinking. But that spouse's intuition is nothing compared to God's knowledge of you. Why wouldn't you devote yourself to prayer, to pouring out your heart before God regularly, spontaneously, in the good moments, in the bad moments, in the times of temptation. Devote yourself to prayer. Keeping alert, alert, Paul says, in an attitude of thanksgiving. When we are thankful, when we're enjoying something, how many of us immediately want to share it with someone we love, want to share it with our spouse? Wow, that was such a good book. Honey, let me tell you all about it. Would you look at that amazing sunset? Hurry, come outside, see it for yourself. I've come close to wrecking many vehicles, trying to get Lynn to see something along the road that I thought she would enjoy. We naturally want to share things, the things we love with those we love. Wouldn't we do the same with God? Continually pour out thanks for every cloud and kindness, for every starry night and happy circumstance. This is the way we ought to feel. We ought to cultivate our vertical relationship by being devoted to prayer and intentionally giving thanks. Because devotion to our vertical relationship will have an impact on our horizontal relationships. That's the second thing we see. Second heading is this. We see in verses 3 and 4 that our vertical relationship opens horizontal doors. Our vertical relationship opens horizontal doors. Look at verses 3 and 4. Paul says, praying at the same time for us as well, that God will open to us a door for the word 
so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ, for which I also have been imprisoned, that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. One of the reasons our vertical relationship is primary is because that relationship impacts all the rest. Here, Paul is calling upon the Colossian Christians to pray for him, to lean into their vertical relationship with God so that the impact might be felt in Paul's horizontal relationships with others. Here we see that the vertical can have a direct impact on the horizontal. God can open doors relationally that no one can close. God can open doors for the gospel that no one can shut. Leaning into that vertical relationship with God is the real tip of the spear for our evangelism. Because God holds the key to every heart. He opens spiritually blind eyes. He alone quickens the spiritual dead to life. He gives opportunities for us to speak and then fills our mouths with the words we need to say. Paul says here. Paul recognizes that his success in his horizontal relationships for the Lord cannot be unhitched from his vertical relationship with the Lord. And because our vertical relationship with God opens horizontal doors, the Colossians have a part to play in Paul's ministry. Colossae could have been 10 miles down the road or 1,000 miles down the road from where Paul is. But the church can pray for Paul and have a, be part of God's means in opening doors for the gospel. This is really incredible for us to realize. Often we think that we have a spiritual stake in someone's work as we give our money to support them. As you give to the ministry here at ABC, you have a stake in all the ministry that this church does. You have a part in every sermon preached, in every baptism, in every food bag given, in every disciple made, in every gospel conversation had. You play a part. You have a part in that through your giving. God sees. God knows that you are investing your resources in his kingdom. But even more than our financial resources, prayer is an internal investment. Vertical prayers open horizontal doors. As far as For 175 know, years, God has given life to this organization. He has called us to go. That's why Paul calls the Colossians to pray, to be devoted to prayer, to pray for him, because our vertical relationship opens horizontal doors for us, for ministry. That's our second point. Here's the third. Our horizontal relationships require intentionality. Our horizontal relationships require intentionality. We see that in verses 5 and 6. Verse 5. Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. Paul highlights our horizontal relationships in these verses. 
The way you live around non-Christians requires a wise intentionality, Paul says. You can't be thoughtless. You can't be heedless. You have to intentionally give thought to the unbeliever in the room. How is the non-Christian perceiving this? How might they perceive my faith because of this? Paul says this takes wisdom. Both to know how to act and to know when to act. You have to know how to intentionally make the most of the opportunity. You have to be on alert, watching for the opportunities that God gives you with unbelievers. Here again, prayer in this vertical relationship is key. Because when we're intentionally praying for an unbeliever, for an unbelieving friend or neighbor, we are also more likely to recognize and take hold of the opportunities as they come. If I'm praying for an open door with this person, I am much more likely to see it and walk through it when that door opens. And God opens more doors when we ask him, doesn't he? Knock, ask, seek, and the door will be open to you. God opens more doors when we ask than when we don't ask. And we are more intentional about walking through those doors with people when we're praying for them to open. Making the most of each opportunity certainly involves our actions. Many a good sermon was undone by bad living. Our actions matter. But we will also have to use our words. We can't get away from this. We will have to use our words. Verse 6, let your speech, your words, always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. You're afraid to talk about Jesus with an unbeliever because you don't know what to say or how to respond. Here is a little help for you from Paul, from God, both with the content and the manner. God simply tells you to intentionally speak words of grace, words seasoned with grace. Speak, speak your words graciously as well. You may not have a great response to a certain non-Christian's objection, but you can have a gracious response. You may not have a great response, but you can have a gracious response. I don't know the best how to answer your objection, but there are loads of people in my church family who probably do. I'm sure they'd love to meet you. <laughs> Why don't you come along on a Sunday or a Wednesday or to a board game life group? Come along and meet these people. Ask your questions. They'd love to hear it. You may not be the person with the answer, but you can respond graciously. You have it in you to respond graciously. Your gracious response can create the opportunity for someone else in our church family to give the wise response, their question needed. So, let your speech always be with grace. In a world whose speech seems to be getting increasingly salty in a bad way, the Christian speech should stand out 
in increasingly sharp contrast. We should be salty in a good way. Our speech needs to be full of grace and truth because our horizontal relationships require a wise and gracious intentionality. That's our third point. Here's the fourth and final one. Our horizontal relationships change others and us. Our horizontal relationships change others and us. We see this in the rest of the chapter, verses 7 through 18. I'm not going to reread all the greetings and sending of greetings in verses 7 through 18, but I will highlight a few people and draw out a truth or two as we close. First, our horizontal relationships change others. We see this in Onesimus, who Paul says in verse 9, he is sending with this letter. We know Onesimus' story through a letter that Paul wrote to Philemon. Onesimus is a slave who runs away. But in God's providence, Onesimus runs away and he runs straight into the arms of Paul. Onesimus is changed by his encounter with Paul. Or more precisely, he's changed by his encounter with Jesus through Paul making the most of every opportunity to speak words of grace to someone in need. Onesimus becomes a thoroughly changed and converted man. He becomes a faithful and beloved brother, Paul says here. Paul calls him the son that he begot in his imprisonment. Onesimus is changed by a seemingly chance encounter with Paul while on the run. Seemingly chance horizontal relationships are exactly the place where God often delights to work. How many of you have been deeply impacted spiritually by someone who seemed to have fallen in your life merely by chance? You may be someone else's Onesimus. And that person who randomly sat beside you in class or got assigned to the neighboring cubicle at work, that person may be your Onesimus, and you don't know it yet. Our horizontal relationships change people, change them positively and negatively. Demas, who is named in verse 14, is someone who experienced a change for the worse. In Paul's last letter, he said this. He said, Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Demas is someone who also was changed over time, but not for the better. He looked like a sincere Christian. He looked like a fellow gospel worker. But somehow, his love for the world grew and overpowered his love for Christ and made him walk away. I don't know what changed Demas, but I see many modern Demases being changed negatively by their horizontal relationships. It's the unwise Christian on the internet over there, or the political activist classmate over here, or their friend who identifies as such and such over there, who pushes them away from the church and away from the gospel. 
the impact of our horizontal relationships can cut both ways. The gospel is powerful enough to keep us in dark places, but you can't cut yourself off relationally from the church or from the truth and expect to emerge unscathed. It's going to have an impact. Our horizontal relationships change us. We see that in Mark as well, who's mentioned by Paul in verse 10. Mark, Barnabas's cousin, came with Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey, but Mark abandoned the work before they were done and returned to Jerusalem. Later, as Paul and Barnabas were preparing to get out again on their second missionary journey, Barnabas wants to bring Mark along once more. But Paul says, no, I'm not having it. He abandoned the work the first time. I'm not bringing him along the second time. Acts 15 says that there occurred such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another, Paul and Barnabas. Barnabas took Mark and went off his way. Paul took Silas and went off a different way. We see this reality here in the scripture that real, genuine believers can disagree so sharply that they part ways. It happened to Paul and Barnabas over Mark. But in this case, it is Paul who eventually is changed and comes around. The very next sentence after Paul talks about Demas abandoning him, Paul writes about another man who once abandoned the work. Paul says, pick up Mark, bring him to me, bring him with you, for he is useful to me for service. Mark, the one who was useless, now is useful. Paul's perspective was changed by his horizontal relationship with Mark. There can be redemption after a backslide. There can be restoration after a sharp disagreement and a falling out between fellow believers. Horizontal relationships also change us. Our relationships with one another often are forced to grow, sometimes in ways we don't want to be grown. Sometimes these horizontal relationships force us to grow in forgiveness and in giving second chances, like with Mark. I'll highlight one final relationship and then we're done. Let's finish by looking at Acrippus. Acrippus is in verse 17. This charge, which Paul makes in verse 17 to Acrippus, goes like this. He says to him, Take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. This charge, which Paul makes to Acrippus, could just as easily be spoken over all of us. It could just as easily be spoken over all our relationships. God has entrusted to each of us a ministry. He's entrusted to you a sphere of horizontal relationships where you are to make the most of every opportunity to make much of him. Your central mission is to make much of Jesus. But the main context in which you fulfill that mission is in your horizontal relationships with others. Those relationships are the ministry you've received. You've received those horizontal relationships so that you might draw others into a vertical relationship with God. 
So, what Paul says to Archippus, I say to myself and to all of us, take heed to the ministry you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. Everyone knows that relationships matter. It's a truth that we intuit. One that we know runs deeper than mere survival. Relationships matter because they are the mission. They are the unfinished task. As Christians, we take up this unfinished task by bringing our vertical relationship into all of our horizontal relationships. So that in Christ, our relationships now matter more than ever because they matter forever. Let's pray. Father, as we have heard, may we believe. May we devote ourselves to prayer, to our cultivating our relationship with you first and foremost. And may that bleed into all everything else, all of our other relationships, Lord. May we seek your face. May we seek your heart to open doors for us in the sphere of ministry you have entrusted to us. Lord, may we face the unfinished task with confidence, with joy, with boldness, because the sufficiency isn't in us. It is in you, in our relationship with a God who holds all things, including us, in our hands, who holds the key to every heart. Lord, may you work in us, in, in our horizontal relationships, through our relationship with you. Lord, do this in us for your glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.